Hey everyone, welcome. We're back. It's what would the smart party do? It's me, Baz, and over there is him, Gaz. Hello, mate. Hello. 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 Um, it feels terribly lonely around here. Can you hear the weird echoing in our in our cave? All the cobolds have left. Um, oh, there's no wandering monster rolls. Yeah, <sighs> I looked, I looked under the sofa for guests for this week. I, I can't find anyone. I think it's just the and me, mate. We'll have to have a, a good old fashioned podcast like we used to do in the old days. Well, I'd have to like, start crunching some crisp packets in front of the mic then, and, <laughs> <laughs> and possibly just fading in and out, and talking rubbish about games. At least one of those things is still true. <laughs> That's correct. Well, I've just had a good time at Furness. You couldn't make it, but as is traditional, I feel the need to rub your nose in it, because I've been to a convention in New Home. I know, I know. Uh, to, uh, but at least it was rubbish, right? And the games are all awful, and there was no good people there. Immense as always. Um, oh, there were there were a few people who dropped out, unfortunately, due to illness and other things, having to fight with the pavements in one case. But uh, yeah, <laughs> there were some good games on all the same. And I got a good run out of um, Wolfrup, we played some Spire, played Powder Mage and Mutant Chronicles, some Savage Worlds. Uh, usual eclectic mix of games there and great gaming folk. Uh, it was also good to bump into Malcolm, one of our glorious patrons, who uh, mentioned the latest uh, scenario that we sent out. So he was quite happy about that. And nice. it was good to see him shake hands. Thank you for his support and all the rest of it. So good to see some of the, the smart posse out at large as well, the convention scene. So segue, sir. So, you know, for our, for our international listeners who maybe haven't caught up with every single podcast, so would I be right in saying that Furnace is a, a local convention for role-playing games set in the glorious city of Sheffield and happens every year? You, you would be entirely correct in that. <laughs> Well, that's everyone up to speed then, isn't it? Oh, listen yeah. back to some podcasts. We go to Furnace every year. Well, you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I try and to the, and fail. And the Seven Hills of various other things. Basically, if we, do not, if we don't explain what the um, the thing is, it's probably one of the Sheffield conventions held in the Garrison Hotel for about 70 to 80 people. There seem to be about half a dozen of them now, of which mm. Furnace was the first, uh, arguably the best, but uh, first amongst equals now, I would say, because all the other ones seem to be getting... Uh, just as good. Mm. And, it's, and it's the same venue and a lot of the same people. So um, I'd definitely jump into one of them if it was one of our listeners and had the opportunity. Is it still all about the games? Yeah, pretty much. There's the kind of Friday night social before you, you know the convention starts proper on Saturday morning. But most people get there on a Friday and then either have some beers in the bar, nip upstairs for a couple of quick games, go out for a Chinese or something. But there's a bit of a social and just getting together and everybody going like, ah, oh, good, I'm not at work anymore. Horrific mm. games, we're on holiday, and just a bit of a catch-up amongst people and meeting some new friends and greeting your old ones. Uh, and then when you get going from Saturday on to Sunday afternoon, it's just slot after slot of uh, really cool games. Mm. Uh, and then before you know it, you're coming on Sunday going like, well, where did my weekend go? Yeah, yeah. It's nice to be out of it for a few days, isn't it? To go and retreat into your gamer bubble with common-minded folk. Exactly, yes. Exactly what was the so. uh, what was your highlight then, mate? Was it something you ran? Was it something you played? But what was the number one spot? Ooh, that might be a bit self-indulgent. Um, but I'm really liking the, the new Warhammer, the fourth edition. Right. It's still got a lot of old school vibes and there's still some bits in it that I'm sure for some people will feel a bit too crunchy or something maybe, or clunky. Mm -hmm. uh, but it didn't feel an effort to run and most people just got on with it and enjoyed the system as it was for all its you know warts and all kind of thing mm -hmm. um it, it has been updated there are things like opposed roles in combat which now means it runs faster uh and that sort of thing and they've got advantage to help speed things up and, and various other bits and pieces so we'll probably do a proper review of it at some point i would think 
Uh, I but would it, it think was, so, yeah. yeah. I've had to be on hiatus. I've not been allowed to look at fourth edition while you've had it in your grubby mitts for ages because <laughs> I've, <been, laughs> I've been seconded over to our good friends at the Grognard Files. Uh, did I say Grunyard? I meant Grognard. I'll edit that out. Uh, the Grognard Files because they've been looking at Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Edition 1 and I've been sort of helping out with some stuff like that. So I've deliberately not looked at fourth edition at all. Um, yeah. I might be the only person in the UK who hasn't. So it feels a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> that you've been off running that game. And I kind of kind of really want to know what it's all about. Um, but uh, I've not been able to check it out so far. But you're a fan, though, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, th- there are some rules that are probably... I, I, I glossed over, basically, when I ran the game. Because uh, right. trying to run the full thing for people who've never played it or didn't know what Warhammer was in some cases... Really? Oh, would have okay. Been, yeah. Yeah, you thought, I think it's just because we're old, with you assume that everybody knows about the old world and all the rest of it. But if yeah. you're a slightly younger gamer, then it's probably passed you by if you, if you never got into Games Workshop and stuff. Why would you know about it? If you started with D&D and never played mm-hmm. miniatures games, it's and kind of, of a bit of a mystery. Yeah, and the, and the old world isn't really supported by Games Workshop right now. And no. for the last few years, they've done Age of Sigmar, which blew up the old world. Spoiler alert. Um, so it kind of doesn't really exist so that's a fair point I, just, I it always baffles me slightly and I, I don't mean this in a pejorative way at all as to why people sign up for stuff when they have no idea what it's about but maybe that's why they do it I suppose yeah yeah well I've certainly done it in the past in some games it's like I just don't know what this is but I want to find out so I end up signing up for it so yeah it, it, it did well uh, I think uh, and uh, also the hardback book I think has landed from the printers I can Remember seeing some lots of pictures yeah. all over Twitter and social media of various sorts. So, um, if you're going to get it, probably now's a good time as the books are landing, so you can get the the physical dead tree thing in your hands, mm-hmm. which uh, will be a bit of a beast. It's only also interesting to note that uh, Main Gosh for um, Zweihander, the sort of new add-on for that's funded well on Kickstarter as well, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it's Daniel Fox who's the writer, isn't it? He's he's full of beans because he seems to be getting like more and more popular and successful with a lot of stuff, even though. Warhammer Fourth Edition's out, so it's, there's yeah. definitely an appetite for that style of game at the minute. Yeah, well, between between Zweihander, Warhammer, and Shadows of the Demon Lord, I think the, the whole grim and gritty bit is like well nailed down at the moment. There's so many options, and there's obviously those options exist because of the appetite, supply yeah. and demand, right? So, oh, speaking yeah. of Shadow of the Demon Lord, um, we have we'll have the delights of we will have some more guests. Uh, Rob Schwalb will be on the show in probably well a couple couple of weeks from when you're hearing this, or a couple of episodes certainly. Uh, so the designer of uh, many, many things, not least of which is Shadow of the Demon Lord, is going to come and talk to us. So well, I guess you know that'll be one of our points to put to him. And if anyone's got any other questions, um, you know, shout them out now uh, as we get the Demon Lord himself on. And um, let's put it to Rob. You know What's going on? Warhammer's back. Zweihander's doing, uh, going gangbusters. Uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord's a big, big deal. Where's all that come from? Is it just filth, misery, and corruption plus fantasy equals win? I'm looking at you, and Gaz is nodding. I think it is. <laughs> it is for me. <laughs> I know you like superheroes <laughs> and nice people, but uh, <laughs> I do I'm like nice me. people because they're nice. That's what makes them <laughs> likable. I can't relate to this in my real world existence, and therefore find it hard to <laughs> suspend my disbelief. <laughs> uh, no, I do love a bit of uh, Grim and Perilous Adventure. Um, cool. I can I can just get down and dirty with the scenarios and stuff and um, indulge myself a little bit. Hey, Smart Pussy, it's the Smart Pixies here. Do us a solid and come like the podcast on Twitter. 
We are at the underscore smart underscore party. Or follow our Facebook page, which is at the smart party. Bet that one took ages to think of. Do it now or a fairy dies. Stay smart. <laughs> Each to their own. Uh, so, speaking of scenarios, let's talk about some of the stuff that we've uh, we've been busying ourselves with over the course of, well, I suppose the summer into the autumn, been busily tip-tapping away on our, on our keyboards. We've been doing our own stuff, haven't we, for the Smart Party. Uh, we've <laughs> yeah. been sending stuff out to patrons, and I think it's okay for us to be a little bit self-indulgent and talk about some of the stuff we've done recently with an eye on maybe what we could do going forwards and... I think filthy, grimy, gritty, dirty, corruptive scenarios sort of leads us nicely into your latest offering for our backers. So, give us the uh, give us the pitch. There's no Kickstarter attached to this, which is unusual for us. We should perhaps do that. The hate-filled mauve sky rush. Uh, the, the conceit behind the scenario put together is that um, there's a dungeon, as there frequently is in D&D, um, but it's already been plundered. So the the big a heroic battle with the evil villains already happened and that party of adventurers have left and have left a legend behind them and what you've got behind is the shattered remains of a once mighty horde now descending into bitterness jealousy sea and spite between them mm. as they try and make a living from themselves and the, the remains of a one grace, great uh, mighty empire or at least mighty dungeon and evil sorcerer who ruled the land so the, the idea really is that your low level adventurers who then go in because there's got to be some easy pickings in there still, and most of the real danger must have gone by now, surely. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just a good conceit for a starting adventure, which then sort of like gives you uh, some foreshadowing of what your characters might do when you're higher levels. But there's, you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of talk around what happens after the fact. You know, lots of plays is about what happens right now and what happens to our characters. But how many stories are about what characters? that are high level are doing to the world you know what impact are they having on the game world around you and how does that work for lower level people or like you know novice characters who are just starting their adventures how mm-hmm. how do they go around doing things in this world full of dragons and all the rest of it so there must be a way of them getting started on their adventures which I think this thing I've put together kind of gives you a bit of a stab at really Was that the seed for the idea? Did, was that the thing that came into your mind first or did that develop during the writing? Yeah, I definitely thought first about the, you know, what what's happened now that Skyrosh is dead or banished or whatever's happened to him. What's what does it look like now? Because mm. you know, a party of mighty heroic adventurers has not gone down every nook and cranny, finding every single goblin or kenku to slaughter and put them all to the sword. They've gone and defeated an evil villain and then walked away and just left it. And there mm. must be some people, the cowards, the lucky the ones that were just out collecting firewood, whatever it is, there must be a bunch of monsters and creatures left around. And what are they doing? Um, mm-hmm. So like, what I've tried to do as well with the scenario is give each of the little factions or groups uh, of, of creatures or players that are still in there like a reason why they're there and why they haven't just all dissipated and gone off and running around in the wilderness or whatever else. They've got some reason to still be in that location. Um, what's the dynamic between them? Like, How do you get on with your neighbours when your neighbours are a bunch of blood eye orcs? Mm-hmm. And you know you've got goblins downstairs. We won't turn the music down and that kind of stuff. It's just, just it seemed interesting to me to explore what happens after the fact because that's never really covered. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so, also a little bit like superhero movies. You kind of want to see the cleanup operation. 
You know, where the, the <laughs> yeah. portal's opened and the big beasts come through and the Avengers manage to fight it off and then the portal shuts again and everybody goes, hooray, we've saved the world. Well, like, someone's got to pick up all that rubble. You know, there's, got, yeah. there's yeah. probably still some baddies about somewhere hiding in skyscrapers or turned over taxis or something. Yeah, you've won the war. What are you going to do with the peace? Yeah, yeah. It's a more interesting story. So is it... Um, uh, is it location-based stuff? Have you got a map with numbers on it and you walk into room eight and you see what's going on? Is there more to it than that? Is it events-driven? What's the structure that you've come up with for your scenario? Well, I like my stuff a little bit sandboxy. So, yes, there are maps. Yes, I have put little numbers on them because it feels like I should. Mm. Uh, but for some of the locations, it's more just a reason to have an encounter. But it doesn't have to be there. I've said that a lot of the creatures are moving about and doing their own thing, or they go out looking for food or hunting for bits of treasure or whatever it is they might be doing. So it felt like, because it was an old school adventure, I should have a map, and I should have some numbers on it, and I should have a bit of a checkered floor here and there and that kind of stuff and yeah. and all that. But I did make a point of saying in the adventure, like the the map doesn't say static necessarily. There's an earth elemental that's changing things around, and there's old magic still echoing up and down the halls and all this kind of stuff, and the goblin warrens could go anywhere. Because I didn't want, for the sort of game and I like anyway, I don't want to be tied to a specific room. And I mm-hmm. certainly didn't want to have, like, room 10, there are five orcs waiting for the adventurers to turn up, and then they will fight them when they open the door. Mm-hmm. So it's more uh, of a, a map that gives you an idea of what things look like. But I specifically call out saying, don't bother about mapping and 10-foot squares or anything like that. It's really just indicative, so you've got an idea in your head. Like um, a bit of a maze in there. Should be frustrating for the characters, but not for the players. And I think that's an important point to get across that sometimes we can get lost in if we create puzzles or problems or things to overcome. It's trying to make sure that that's not annoying for people playing the game, even if their characters will be annoyed or have to take a long time getting through it. Mm-hmm. So you talked a bit about factions as well, which is. Um which is a lovely thing to do with scenarios because it really brings them to life, doesn't it? And it probably gives you a bit mm. of replay value as well. So I can always imagine in D&D-style games, you you go in for a bit of an explore, you find out a few things, you kind of poke at the bonfire of factions, and then you retreat and then come <laughs> back again to see what's happening a few days later. I get the feeling yeah. from your scenario, if you come back a few days later, that map you painstakingly drew out as a character is probably not that much good to you anymore because things have happened because I yeah. think knowing your GMing style, you're not just going to give people eight hours off. No, of course not. Why would you? <laughs> In fact, if they're all resting up, then that's the time when someone's going to come along and try and nick their stuff because they look weak and half of them are sleeping. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's my idea of a good time. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, some of the, the mm. feedback we've had um, really hit the spot for me, which which may be pleased, is someone said, like, you know, you could get several sessions worth of play out of it because there's a lot going on and I think that's something I've done with scenarios that I just write for myself to run at conventions mm. if anything I end up writing too much stuff to give players lots of options and then maybe half of it doesn't get used or, or some other percentage but I'd rather have lots of ideas there and people can pick and choose what they want or see what strikes according and doesn't um, yeah. than not have enough to go at or you know have to sort of chore work the way through certain encounters or certain things because they feel like they should include it um you know, I, I do say in the the little section at the start on advice as well is like just if something's not working, drop it, and if something's exciting, have more of it. You know, there's there's just a I don't know how to describe it. But from my point of view, you should have like say lots of ingredients, and it doesn't matter what the cake looks like. You know, just keep chucking the ingredients, and if you like cinnamon, <laughs> put more cinnamon. You know, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. You might not like the taste of it afterward, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. 
Oh, yeah. So uh, you've written a D&D adventure. What are you doing writing D&D adventures when I think I won't be uh, not much of a spoiler here. It's not your favourite game, is it? So what was it like <laughs> as an experience writing for a game system that's, you know, that, that you you would play, you have played, you've enjoyed, mm. I think, but it's not your favourite. So what, why did you lead yourself down that particular 10 foot wide corridor? And what did it do well, to the writing? Yeah, I mean, I made my corridors nine foot so that you can get your 10 foot pole down sideways <laughs> just to annoy people. You can't turn any sharp corners. <laughs> and the, and the, the chasms are all 51 feet across and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, <laughs> to be honest, what I wanted to do was write something for, that people could use, a generic sort of fantasy adventure. And it needed some system with it because if I've learned one thing over the years is that people don't like no system. They want something in it to hang mm. that off a little bit. But I didn't want to put so many rules in that then it means if you don't play that game, you can't get that, the same use out of it. So I tried yeah. to... I thought D&D was reasonably good because you could reference the DMG and the Player's Handbook and the Master Manual. And if you don't have those things, you could still do it with the system. For example, I'd probably use Savage if I ran it, to be honest. Mm. But the Savage has got rules for orcs and skeletons and other things and... You know, if there's a, a, a spirit that wants to possess someone in there or something like that, there's rules for that in Savage Worlds. So I could easily do it using the core Savage Worlds book um, without me necessarily having to write it down. And the thing is, is that if I'd written it as a Savage adventure, I would have been more tempted to put stuff in around um, task-based stuff to, to, to get across this chasm than you need to make uh, this sort of roll for this difficulty or this, you know, mm. you'll sort of fatigue at this point if you don't roll these dice. And it probably would have led me more into trying to write down for the GM what he needs to do or her, she needs to do at certain points. And what I mm. really was trying hard to do as a writer, and not that I've done much writing, but the thinking behind it was that if I avoid the system as much as possible, it'll just lead me to putting ideas down on paper and then individual GMs can make the most of what they've got there. So mm -hmm. hopefully that's worked for people. Okay. Yeah, so that's a really interesting approach because... Uh, that no system idea has been tried a lot. People often say they want it. I see people say that they would buy no system stuff. I don't see it actually happening though. I mean, I think probably the poster child for a non-system thing would be something like Freeport, um, mm. which has been out in so many different variations now. That it's a fantasy city of, of basically of pirates, done by Green Ronin Press. Nice piece of yeah. kit, uh, but they've. It's gone from systemless to being statted up for every single system, and it's had to have a bit of a rewrite every time. Uh, there must be a dozen variations on Freeport out there now, and I know it's, it's obviously it's not going to be a rule, but I don't I don't buy systemless stuff either. Well, I do, but they're called novels or films. Yeah, that, that that's my systemless <clears throat> scenario books, and they're, and they're quite they're quite inexpensive in comparison to role playing supplements. I recommend it highly. <laughs> <laughs> you see the Freeport book. I think I'd have got as much out of buying the D&D Freeport book as a systemless one. In fact, more out of the D&D one. Right. Yeah. Even though I don't use D&D necessarily, I could see that if I got, I don't know, if a particular character was, say, level three to five, I would think, oh, that's about seasoning. So I return, so I know what I'm dealing with. And if someone had, like, a 12th level character, I'd think, okay, well, that's maybe veteran heroic, so I need to make it this sort of, like, opposition to, to reflect that or... It gives you an idea about relative power levels of antagonists or that sort of thing. So I think having some system gives you more of an idea about how to use it for the system you want, even if you don't use that system itself. 
Yeah, I guess the lead up of a Rosetta Stone, isn't it? I mean, people understand yeah, yeah, what so. an orc is and what a dragon is. The the only one I was going to suggest differently. I bought Knights Black Agents and I looked at the fall of Delta Green and I, I love Delta Green mm-hmm. uh, and it's Ken Hatch stuff again, so that's all good. Uh, people said you you could buy the fall of Delta Green even if you don't play Gumshoe and it's fine. But I had a look at it at a weekend and actually a lot of the pages have got Gumshoe stuff on. And it's right. about how to do a thing using Gumshoe, basically. And I'm sure it's great for that, but there doesn't look, or there didn't look enough in there for me to buy it to use my Delta Green games and use general, you know, normal Delta Green. It seemed a lot. Of, it was kit for using that setting with Gumshoe, I think. So I don't know. I'm probably like going back on what I said earlier, but I think with some games, having a little bit of systems good because it gives you some guidance. Mm. If it's too heavily intertwined, I think you kind of you're stuck, you're kind of cutting off the rest of the market there. It has to be this books for this market who play this particular type of system. Yeah, you see, I, I wouldn't be surprised if in your fairly near future you would turn your hand to run it to writing something for our backers that was a little bit more sort of modern uh, horror conspiracy, you know, your default sort of game, if you don't mm. mind me saying. Yeah. And if and if that were going to be the case, would you be prepared to put your money on what system you would stick in there now? Or is it is it too early to say and you have to see how the scenario would unfold, see if it takes you in a certain direction? Or would you be thinking systemless from an initial seed of an idea and then see what happens? Yeah, I don't, certainly for the more modern stuff and the horror, I don't think there's a system necessarily that I think, like, I'll use this because that's going to then inform the game. Mm. I think that those sort of games are much more about what's the story going, what's happening, what's the mystery that the players are going to unfold, or you know how are they going to go on this journey, uh, and then you just use what sort of assisting one afterwards. I don't think uh, I'm sure um, a good friend Michael forgive us me for saying this, but I don't think Cthulhu is necessarily an inspiring system, for example, or BRP based stuff, right. which ultimately Delta Green is, and there are extra rules about both of those games, so the Cthulhu Seventh and Delta Green, which make them good in different ways and it isn't just straight up rolling percentiles and seeing what you get for sure but I don't think those systems necessarily inspire horror play mm. there's not you know there's nothing in the mechanics that makes the game particularly scary or necessarily investigative they're just good sort of generic systems so I I think for those sort of games you can do the it's about the story more or the setting and the system just needs to be workhorse or you know good enough and have a few mm-hmm. tweaks and interesting bits to, to tie you in. So, yeah, I think those sort of games are more ideas first, worry about the system second. Like, I'd love to do something for Hot War again. I love writing for that. Yeah. But I don't know how many of the, the people out there are familiar with it because it's quite a small press British game. And I don't know how many of our listeners would actually be interested in, in doing something with that because those scenarios are quite weird. They're a bit like um, the old vampire, like Chicago by Night and those sort of yeah. books you used to get which were just books that were full of um, interest in NPCs and locations. And that was it. And you kind of, if you used to come coming from D&D background, for example, you read through it and go, well, that was great, but where's the adventure? Mm-hmm. And the adventure is the situations and the people that are involved. So um, I'm I'm struggling mentally to work out how I'd write. I don't know if you've got a different opinion, but I know I can write it. And I know that I can run it at a convention and definitely get a great game out of it because I've done it many, many times. Mm. I, I feel really nervous as a writer putting a scenario together like that and then handing it to someone else and saying, right, you run this now. Because it doesn't feel like I'm giving them enough advice on how the game should play or yeah. what they should do with it. Yeah. It feels like half of it's still in my head, if you know what I mean. 
and then I'm in danger of over explaining everything and making it just getting in my own way. Well, uh, yeah, I know. I, you and I have both chosen to, for our, our first releases to our backers to do D and D scenarios, and um, and we're not particularly a D and D podcast. I genuinely don't think we are. We're, we're not. We're not against D and D. Far from it. Uh, but it's you know we're we're not just D and D, and there's plenty of podcasts for those if you want them. So I mean, I, I think I chose to do my system for the same reason you may have done yours, which is it's procedural, um, mm. and it's kind of. It's not easy to write scenarios. I think we need to talk about that probably in a second. I don't think it's easy at all. And I have huge admiration for people who could take their ideas that would work at their home table and turn it into something that other people can use. It's a massive undertaking. But if you're going to do it at all, that D&D structure of adventure is much, much easier than something a bit more open-ended. I think you can absolutely do open-ended sort of sandboxy investigation scenarios. And there's plenty of on the market to prove that. I'm, I'm going to say something perhaps a bit controversial. I don't think many of them are particularly good mm. uh, because I think they they can't be particularly good because you just you don't know what it's going to sit like at somebody else's table. There's too many variables in it. It's too much of it will be unused or too much of it will get in the way because they, they by being so flexible, they almost fall between your fingers as a GM. Mm. Um, so I personally, I... I I, I think uh, maybe well one day I will have a crack at uh, publishing something like that. But my webs and relationship maps that I have on my notes when I'm running games like that make perfect sense in the moment with the people in front of me. But if I posted my stuff to you and said, run that for your group, mate, I wouldn't expect you to come back with anything <laughs> like a glowing review. Yeah, <laughs> and then if I want to stick twenty thousand words around it and try and convince people who don't even know me to try it, I think <laughs> I'm up against it. <laughs> that might just be a, that might just be a matter of skill for me. There, there are some yeah. fantastic scenario writers out there. Gareth Ryder Hanrahan, whatever he writes. Ah, <laughs> oh, there we go. If he writes it, you buy it, and you will have a good good time. There's loads of them, um, but you know I could count them off on the fingers of one hand. Uh, yet if you go to DMs Guild. And there's plenty of like D and D landfill on there. Don't get me mm. wrong. No offense, but people know there is. But there are also hundreds of scenario writers on there now, making a good living because they produce professional quality stuff that you can you can buy at half past six in the evening and be running at eight. And, yeah. and that that's that's not a small thing. The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new Smart Party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the Smart Party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! Yeah, for sure. So we've not really discussed um, The Lair of the Doom Lord, which is your little adventure. Because it's rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so if, it, if you were writing your adventure again then <laughs> what would old Baz tell young Baz <laughs> it's rubbish in the, in, the, in the best possible sense it's rubbish in the way that like awful films that you can't stop watching are really really good it's, it's, it's not badly done I would like to think it's quite elegantly done it's quite well done there's a certain amount of quality to its crapness uh, but 
I, I, I set out to write a D&D adventure that was nothing like the sort of D&D adventures I normally run for my home group. So mm-hmm. it's 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 quite jokey, actually, and, and I don't run jokey games at all. You know, people have a good time in my games, but I, I can't bear humour-based games. I've never been able to get on with paranoia, no. any of that kind of stuff where it's all kind of a bit forced. But there's loads of occasions where just, you know, role-playing games just make people laugh, and, and I like those bits. Uh, but it has to come out of the situation. Anyway... Point being, I thought I'd write a D&D adventure and I was under pressure one night for my home group because I'd put myself under pressure because we were constantly doing campaigns that had wikis attached to them and people were writing stuff down in journals and background and setting and you get that bit where you think, oh, what, what are we going to do? Let, which campaign shall we pick to run? And with busy lives, after a while you think, blimey, whatever we decide on now, it'll be everybody's second or third choice because we're all very polite. Yeah. So we're all going to go for the compromise one. And we're probably tying ourselves into like a year or 18 months of play. And and actually, we probably all know we'll never get to the end of that either. And then it will just fizzle and then we'll have to like reboot it all. And it was a bit of a cynical kind of thinking, really. But it's true. It's based in fact. So I thought, mm. right, OK, next Wednesday's coming up. Let's do what I, what I did when I was 11, when I had you know a maths book. And I would turn to the back and get some graph paper out and do a few rolls on a few tables and deliberately not try and over-engineer it, deliberately not try and overthink it. And, uh, and I thought, I need, a, I need a starting situation. Okay, cool. The most classic one I can think of is that the PCs are all basically naked, tied up and in prison. And they've got to get their equipment back and find their way out of a jail. Yeah. Oh, and they've had their memories wiped as well because I started writing backstory about how they'd all got there and I thought, well, no, 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 let's not do that. That's nonsense because that's not going to help me have a game ready for like, you know, tomorrow, which is what I needed. So yeah. from that really classic hackneyed beginning, I just had so much fun just doing <laughs> what you did with your scenario, which is I wonder what would happen next. And I yeah. just had like some PCs in mind and I just tried to play through my own imagination so I was like GMing with myself, with my mm. notes in front of me, and going, okay, right, so uh, how are they going to get out of this prison then? Okay, well, someone needs to come through the door at some time. So, oh, I'll tell you what, we'll make that the big villain. So we'll do some foreshadowing, and he'll sort of taunt everybody and then go out through the door and let it slam behind him. So they know who the baddie is straight away. So that'll give them someone to hate. And then he'll send in a torturer who doesn't lock the door very well behind him. Um, and then there'll be a fight there and then they'll get their stuff well who's looking after their stuff outside and I just kept offering myself dilemmas and then improvising them as a GM and then putting them down on paper and then you go back to it and you have another look at it you branch out a few things and my map looked like a flowchart at this point of just circles and lines Mm -hmm. Um, and then I started having some fun and I thought increasingly as it went on I thought this this prison just feels to me like at some point they, the, the characters should sort of like look out of a window or something and get an idea of their bearings and realise they're in a in a floating asteroid that's like the Death Star moving across the surface <laughs> of a desert world. And it just tickled me. And I thought that would be kind of cool. And yeah. they could look at things happening outside and there could be psychic broadcasts. And and I just, I'm not quite sure how long each group is going to take before they figure out they're on a Death Star. But they basically are. Uh, and I just had fun with that and I had goblins in a kitchen and there's dumb waiters that you can put bombs in and send them to other levels and I've got like chaos engines and weird random effect tables and I've got uh, my favourite bit 
I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. No, it's not too much of a spoiler. So, yeah, so none of the PCs have got their memories, but the, the conceit that grew over the course of writing it is that actually, much like your your idea, is that imagine if you had a bunch of PCs who got up to like 9th, 10th, 11th level, and they were like really quite kick-ass big heroes in the world. And they probably got castles and domains and, you know, villagers probably named children after them, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then they get level-drained by some nasty monster who also takes all of their memories. So imagine you put those people in the world, so they're first level, but once they were ninth or tenth. Yeah. So everyone else in the world knows who they are, and they were quite something, and now they're basically nobody with daggers, <laughs> and they don't even know each other very well, and, and that's going to freak people out. So when they started meeting their old contacts and stuff and finding out that they just got lost on a secret mission and can they please hand in their reports... Hilarity ensues. <laughs> in the middle of a dungeon, they realise that they're quite, you know, when they get referred to as captain by somebody else, and they start meeting, you know, wives and commanding yeah. officers, then, then, you know, it's supposed to be a little bit throwaway. I don't suppose you can put it into a campaign unless, well, I suppose long term you could. You could get everybody up to a decent level, then then just like lose all your friends by insisting that they get level drained. <laughs> Drainable, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> start again um, but yeah and I, I hate using the word fun when it comes to this sort of stuff but I, I d- deliberately tried to to not write uh, anything particularly innovative or a masterpiece but something that could genuinely be played at a convention table and genuinely enjoyed a bit beer and pretzels I suppose and it does have a bit of humour in it but it's it's D&D at the opposite end of the scale from the way that you've written yours so it, it gives our backers a real choice as to what they want what style wise they're after um and it and it was a real loosener so after that i felt i could go back to what i would call my normal style of gaming it really sort of shifted a few things in my head it was good yeah for no that's good it's good to have a, a, i mean we've always advocated playing different games haven't we like completely yeah. different systems and styles but i think yeah, it's equally useful to do that just in D to play it in different ways like you say, it shakes a few like different neurons loose in your head. Yeah, and gives you different ideas for your normal game. In inverted commas for normal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, this one was a real holiday, and and I think you know again the reason maybe why you and I have chosen D and D is because it is so flexible. You can play out and out investigation horror style games in it if you want. It may not be the best for doing that. In fact, of course, it isn't the best for doing that, but it will do it. It will do a serviceable job, and you can do kick in the door Saturday night D and D. Because clearly it does that job. And I think some people who do D&D a bit of a disservice by assuming you can only play it the way that you feel it can be played. And, and I don't think that's necessarily the case at all. You know, mm. there's, there's non-combat groups out there who are busy role-playing through the noble courts of Dragonlance, even as we speak. Yeah. And there are plenty of other people who are going onto character optimization boards to figure out how to defeat the, the Goblin Chief in the Adventurers League next Thursday. Yeah. But they're all playing D&D, and that's cool with me. Yeah, I think he's one of another another one, sorry, of our glorious patrons, Lee, who's on the, on the Twitter sphere somewhere, and he was saying uh, he doesn't normally like D&D Adventures, but he quite liked the one I've written. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought, good, because I don't normally like D&D Adventures either, but I quite like the one I've written, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we're of an accord. But, yeah. But it was exactly. pleasing to hear that that's the way it had been received, because that's kind of what I wanted to do with it. Like, I don't... I don't think either of us want to put stuff out there that nobody wants, so it's it, it's good if people can get in touch and just let us know what they think of it, and then we can try and 
right stuff in the right way well you know yeah absolutely and you know and it's it i want to do more i definitely want to do more it's um it's tough though um we're happy to do it because you know our, our backers keep us on the air and and i think they deserve rewards you know we don't ask for much a couple of dollars a month and we'll give you stuff and plus a podcast so but i, I did find it, it it's a tough ask i mean how did you get on with the the actual job of banging out those words and making it make sense to other people I'm a starter, not a finisher. I think yeah. is the problem. <laughs> so, like seventy-five, eighty percent of it was great, and then I just got fed up. <laughs> and it's that bit at the end where you've got to like tidy things up, and you think, oh, "I really need a couple more encounters here." Actually, it's not, you know. And when I finally decided to key a map rather than just having a map, it was like, oh, "I've got eighteen. I definitely need twenty things on this map. I can't, yeah. I, yeah. I can't not have another two just to round it out a little bit and that kind of stuff." So, yeah, I think initially just writing stuff is good when you're keen for the idea. It's the, um, it's the bit of being professional, actually finishing off a scenario. That I think is the, the bit that most people get stuck on. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it's when that steam runs out and you've got you, it stops being as much fun. And it's more about doing work to make it a nice product. I think. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and. And I found I had to be quite brave with some bits as well and not write stuff down. Yeah. So you yeah, yeah, again, exactly. didn't, want, didn't want to over-engineer it. And I didn't really want to go through talking about like, um, well, I, I, uh, we mentioned this before, but I, I take a lot of stuff off of a 10-foot pole. Mm, yes. Um, really, really good advice uh, by Bryce Lynch over at 10-foot pole for what he likes to see in his OSR adventures and he he reviews pretty much exclusively osr D adventures and i and i think his advice is sound mm. uh so and I, I looked out for some of the traditional pitfalls so if you've got a map that shows a room being 30 foot square dimension for example you don't need to write that down in the description of the room because you can look at the map and it shows you where that there's a door in the north wall yeah. so i didn't want to waste time writing that and i and i wanted to put i wanted to put my words into the bit that the beleaguered GM needed the help with, and I wanted to make it entertaining as well. For me, I wanted to write an entertaining read. I don't if it, if it never gets played. That's well nothing I can do about that. But I wanted to be a good read for the GMs who bought it. Yeah, definitely. I'm just trying to find a. Oh, you know, this is, this is what preparation gets you for podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we have guests so you a, can do this research while they're talking. While they're talking. <laughs> I did have a thing, but yeah, ten foot pole is definitely one of the resources I used. And I think if you look at Drive Through RPG, there's some other good stuff on there as well, which is quite useful. Oh, here it is. Um, I'm writing with style and editor's advice for RPG writers, which I bought. Mm. And I don't think necessarily it was mind blowing or anything like that for me, but for the sake of, I don't know, three pound eighty or whatever five dollars translates to in English money, yeah. uh, it was a nice little read just to go through and it's it's basically written by someone who's done a lot of writing or has to look at a lot of other people's writing for RPGs mm. and just like it's saying like here's some basic stuff don't get this wrong and you know so, some tips as well rather than just looking at the negatives but uh, I'd certainly recommend that if, you, if people want to start doing a bit of writing just have a look and see if you can avoid a lot of the things that we all see in RPG products that perhaps annoys a little bit or we think could be done better like if you can start off on the right foot and trying at least avoid the basic errors then um everything just suddenly becomes a lot better i think mm. i looked at, yeah. um i don't want to mention it by name but i looked at a, a sort of starter adventure for a, for a product recently and there were lots of things that i don't think are necessarily atrocious but just annoyed me um a little bit so 
the sort of conceit of the thing is that you've got to go and do this mission and there's someone important that you, you're guiding. Uh, but they don't turn up for, for a reason uh, mm. and all the characters have to go anywhere. I thought, well, that's, that's a reasonable enough setup because, you know, why would your players go on a, an important mission if they started characters? But that's the reason why they would. Brilliant. Mm. But then it gives about five reasons why the person's not turned up and you're like, I don't, I don't need any. Like, give me one if you want, maybe. But why do I need to select from a choice of reasons why someone's not turned up? Who's never in this scenario yeah. ever again? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then there was an interesting bit around, I think they get offered a mule or a donkey um, with uh, some provision stuff. But it's like, one of the sentences was along the lines of, if your players are the sort that care about donkeys, then its name is Daisy. And I just thought, <laughs> well, well, what if they don't care? Is its name Frank? You know, just the way the sentence was written. It was just like, I don't understand yeah. it. They don't name the stable girl who they say brings it, but they name the donkey. And, so, and there just seemed to be a lot of um, stuff in it that was words for the sake of it. In fact, at one point there's a sidebar, and then the actual main body text virtually word for word repeats it, apart from one bit at the end that's slightly different. So it's sure. completely duplicated text. Um, so actually, things like that were a good inspiration for. I mean, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm put, obviously putting my head on the line here because I've written something. I'm starting to criticise other people's work, so I'm opening the door yeah. for getting criticism myself, but I don't mind if it's constructive. But that sort of reading that adventure gave me an idea about what I don't want to do with mine. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'm not going to have much in the way of call-out boxes, certainly if they're not adding anything new, and I'm not going to put unnecessary things in like if this and then that, if really I don't care about the choice, you know, if it's something that doesn't matter, yeah. and that kind of stuff. And... um if it's naming something that is just a basic common or god name, don't bother. Like everybody can think up names like Desi or Frank or whatever else they want, unless it's something flavorful for the world that you're writing for or has a specific meaning. Why bother wasting your time with that stuff? So I think brevity is one of the things I learned from reading some of their adventures. What What do you reckon? Yes. Yeah, uh, pet peeve of mine. I, I've run a lot of published adventures in my time, so I've read a lot of other people's scenarios. Um, and my pet peeve is is stuff that I read in scenarios that will never come out to the players. Mm. Um, and scenarios are full of this stuff, absolutely full of it. Uh, I, I will name some names. Paizo Adventure Paths, which I've enjoyed and played a lot of. Um, my goodness, do they know how to pad. And I think it comes <laughs> from like pain by the word. Pain really. by the word, isn't it? Yeah. There is that. And then there's also, you know, there's the fact, and it is a fact, that lots of people buy scenarios just to read and they have no intention of ever running them, playing sure. them. And that's fine. And, and the Adventure Path comes out in a magazine-like format as subscription and the rest of it. But blimey, you can look at, um, just look at like an ogre in a room in some of those adventures. And the author, I mean, it's just highlighter material. The author will spend a couple of paragraphs, probably a couple of hundred words, telling you about, some piece of backstory or some piece something that, that the room used to be used for and you've got no way of knowing that you could never access that information it's even if you ask the yeah. ogre he couldn't tell you <laughs> there's just no way of knowing that and and so it's nice when you're reading it, you think this adventure is full of full of depth and flavor but when you play it you think oh man i wish i'd run a highlighter across this this is this this could be a tenth of the size, but would I be getting my money's worth? Well, yeah, you'd be getting more than your money's worth because it would suddenly be a lot more usable. So there's yeah. that, and and I I reacted to my reaction to that was similar to yours. Was for example, I've got some monsters in my scenario, which should come as no surprise to anyone. And sometimes it might be like you know there are four goblins. It would never be that dull, but imagine there's four goblins. 
I took the time to put in four adjectives in my monster list so that the DM can say there's a short one, a tall one, one of them's got an eye patch and the other one's got bad breath. None of this is massively inventive, but it just means that I know from running games that if you've got four goblins, players, especially if you're playing Theatre of the Mind or stuff like that, will go, um, which one am I fighting again? And as a yeah. GM, you just need you need instant kind of ammunition to go the one with the peg leg is is bloodied and trying to make a run for it. And and that's all you need. But you don't need to know that he's been twice divorced due to his gambling habit and it was kicked out of an orc cave five years ago. And I've seen that stuff written in scenarios yeah, before. Yeah. You read it and think, cool. But my advice to those scenario writers is, why don't you go and write that novel that you clearly want to write? You really want to write. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the goblin's motivation? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So exactly. I did that on the, um, I think it was a Legend of the Five Rings game around, and there was like 20 Ashigari who were sort of foot soldiers. And I had them printed out in an Excel spreadsheet. I'm like, well, this is going to be difficult, especially for that theatre of the mind, like you say. Yeah. So I did the same thing and just like had a little description from each of them. So, you know, is one eye and square jaw and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And just that was it. That's did bother with actual names for them because no one's going to speak to them. They just want to chop the heads off with a katana. Right. But, you know, you just go through and give them a thing. And uh, it inspires you at the table a little bit, doesn't it, when you do something like that? Yeah, it does. Yeah. If you've yeah, got one of the goblins that's looming over the party and one that's like, fat and squat and struggling to, to flank anybody because he's too chubby and that kind of stuff. Oh, if ever you're worried like that you can't come up with great character concepts or anything, just be a GM for a bit because that goblin that you gave an eye patch to, after a fight, if it survives, it's probably got more backstory than half your PCs <laughs> and more intriguing interest than all the rest of the stuff. You know, things just become like, you know, the, the one ghoul that will not die and is sort of trailing the party through the dungeon. And he's yeah. so easy to defeat, and he ends up ends up working with the party and like opening a pub six months later. <laughs> you know? these, these things will take on a life of their own, but you but you've got to put the spark in there. And I think you know writing four goblins is better than writing four goblins with backstories. Yeah, but it doesn't take much to give them just a tiny little bit of life and just that spark, and let let the players fan that flame if they want to, mm. if they want to. If they don't want to, it's no, it's no bother, and you've not wasted your time writing loads of backstory. Correct. But if they do want yeah. to, that's all it needs. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not quite sure how my scenario has gone down overall, uh, but I did because of the nature of the conceit of the game. I had put quite a bit of um, implied setting as we discussed with Patrick Stewart uh, a yeah. few weeks ago, but that kind of stuff in there. So there was a little bit of story for the GM as he was reading through bits mm. of it, or she would be reading through it. But they're really just one-liners, just to give them a bit of an idea and make it less dry to read through, and then give them inspiration for how some of the characters might act within the dungeon, based on what mm-hmm. I've said about what happened. So hopefully I've struck a balance right there, but um, we're both quite new to this, aren't we, really? So it's all a bit... Yeah, well, we've always written adventures, but yeah. writing for publications but for other people, beast entirely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a really, really different thing. Really different. And um, as we alluded to earlier... If you're going to start writing adventures for games like, uh, you know, for example, a game that we both loved in the last year would be something like Blades in the Dark. Mm. I'm not sure how I would approach writing a publishable adventure for that. I've never seen anyone else do it, by the way. I, I stand to be corrected. Please tell me if I'm wrong on this. I don't think those scenarios exist. And there's lots of games that we enjoy that are a little bit more loosey-goosey and improvised at the table and need to have sort of like some table rules about what the setting's like. Can you write scenarios for those? I think you probably can. Mm. I 
I've tried writing for fate before, found that tricky but doable. Yeah. Um, um, and I think, you know, next projects, maybe we should talk about that. I, I think I'll be stepping outside of dungeons and literally dragons. Yeah. Um, be interesting to see. What, you got any ideas for where you're going next? I would like to do something like the Cthulhu Delta Green, that kind of thing. Uh, that is my forte, I think. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'd also like to do something sci-fi because I think that's an underrepresented, apart from maybe space opera or like old school uh, traveler and stuff like that, which I suppose is still space opera. Um, I think we're sort of lacking some good sci-fi adventures because yeah. I think we've discussed this before, but what tends to happen with sci-fi is people say you can do anything and then that doesn't give you enough boundaries and you don't really know what to do because mm. First of all, you got to work out if you're allowed laser swords or not, and people got psionics, and can you beam down the ninja shuttle <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think having a, a neat adventure that's kind of puts the boundaries up, so you know what you're playing within, like a starship crew or something. Yeah, might be interesting to do. I don't know. I think with this sort of stuff, it's got to come from inspiration. That you've got to have watched something, read something, had had a bright idea in the shower, and then that's your inspiration to write, and you write about what you want to. I think that was good advice from back in the day from uh, Rich Stokes when he'd written Umlaut Game of Metal. And I was saying, about, well, ooh, I feel like I should write a game because at that time, everybody in the British role-playing scene was writing their own indie game. And he's mm. like, what can I write about? And he just said, dude, if you can't think of something that you want to write a game for that doesn't really exist, don't write it because you're just you're wasting your time. You'll never finish it, that sort of thing. So yeah. I think that applies to a, a lesser extent to, to writing as well. Like if you can't think of something good that you want to write an adventure for, then don't don't start on that journey. Let's just make it work for yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, anything you where you scribble down your ideas, because all the writing advice you see is stuff like take a notebook to bed with you, put it beside yeah. you, so that when you wake up and have a dream, you can jot it down. Or you know, when you're commuting on the bus, you know, just tap something into your phone, and then you can refer to your ideas file. I'm, I'm going to put this out there: ideas are ten a penny. All right. That isn't the hard bit. Of, of writing and, and, and putting something out there for other people to read. It's taking it past that idea and putting it into a workable format. Yeah. It's the development, just pushing it on into something where, first of all, you have to maintain your own interest in it. Mm. And and unfortunately, with role-playing scenarios, you can get them into a state where you could run it fairly easily. And then anything else you do after that is just for the benefit of other people. And we're all we're all up against time constraints and, and yeah. who wants to do that? It's because of the generosity of our backers that they've pushed us to do this, actually, yeah, isn't it? So it's it your is. fault, listeners. Thank you, but it's your fault. <laughs> the one you created. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I am a fan of that kind of like uh, using Google Keep or whatever on your phone and, and jotting yeah. down as a stuff. But you need to have that conceit. You need to understand what your game is. And mm. then you jot down ideas about the thing that you're writing. You can't just have generic ideas about things you might write because then you'll end up with a big file of 500 unfinished adventures or with like the yeah. two lines long each. So, you, you, yeah, cool. Write ideas down and then work out which are workable afterwards and that kind of stuff as you go yeah. along. But you need your core conceit. Otherwise, you're weeding in the wind, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've got a couple of things that I'm sort of bubbling along on at the moment. And they're both kind of weird, but they might be ideal for, for our audience who are all kind of weird. God bless us all. Um one of which is uh, it's an alternate history game, so that will really push my comfort zones because I don't normally mm. do alternate history. Uh, but don't get excited because it's going back to the 90s. So, <laughs> <it's> not... <laughs> which That's is, the future it, as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's, 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 it's historical. So, you know, it's a couple of decades ago. That's, that's history. So 
and when I was born, that was like nearly World War Two, and that's definitely Pierce history. So 20, 20, 30 years is a long time, right? Yeah. So okay. I'm thinking alternate history for the nineties, and I'm thinking Britpop. So it's all about rival bands, um, but in a world where AI was invented really early. So essentially, it's going to be a cyberpunk nineties, um, uh, and it's going to be set in the in the world of competing media conglomerates, um, and it's going to be about celebrity and about interband rivalries. Um, that's one idea. And I've got plenty down about that. What it hasn't turned into yet is a is a, a scenario. At the moment, it's more of a setting mm. and, and a set of cool characters in a nice location. And what it's looking for is that, is that thing that's going to thread it through play. Mm. So we, we, we were talking earlier about what do you do in sort of sandboxy environments. Yeah. At the moment, it feels like I've got something that you would consider to be a source material. Um, I don't want to put anything out that you can't sit down with and go and actually make something happen without... I don't want to give anyone a toolkit. No. Because I think everyone's got one of those between their ears. Hmm. I want to give people something with a with a through line. You can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere or you can simply email us at thesmartparty@hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy! And I, I might upset you now. I, slight tangent and you can edit it out if you don't like it but I'm going to ask, how's King of Dungeons coming? <laughs> right, so yeah, King of Dungeons is coming along really well. Uh, really well. I've been saying that for about 18 months. Uh, <laughs> I took a year out to do a career change, definitely. So I didn't touch it for a year, but I've come back to it. And I know it's good because I came back to it after a year and still wanted to do it. Oh, yeah. and there aren't many things you can say that of. So King of Dungeons is a role-playing game. Uh, it's my own one. Um, and it came to me from an idea for a scenario. And I think that's really important. That's what's pushed me on to keep going with this role-playing game is it grew out of a scenario, so it grew out of a desire to play a session rather than I thought up an RPG and then was scratching my head about what things I could do with it. For mm. me, it came together the right way around. And the initial, the seed of the idea was this. Fantasy role-playing game, yeah, well, you know, what else was it going to be? And the idea was that everybody would be the audience at an auction and the auction house would be auctioning magic items that were just brought out of the nearest dungeon. Right. So it might be like the the Rod of Wonder or whatever. And you'll have all of these well-to-do people. You'll have like, you know, governments will be there bidding on these items. You'll have rival adventuring parties. You'll have you as the adventuring party still looking a bit dusty and a bit dirty because you've only just pulled it out of a hole recently. And you'll be sitting at the back nervously like on bargain hunt waiting to see what your item goes for. So uh, that was the initial idea. It's like, what do, what do adventuring parties do with the big items that they pull out of holes? Yeah. Usually you end up using them yourselves. But what if you didn't? What if you wanted it for the money? Yeah. You know, that rod of wonders, not, not any good to the dwarf barbarian. So what are you going to do? And then if you do put it up for sale, how does the world react to that? Which is your idea. How does the world react to the things you set in motion? And then I thought, what the hell does a fantasy version of Sotheby's actually look like? What kind of security does it have? It must have the world's best security. <laughs> um, what happens when, you know, where do they store their stuff? What happens when they put things in transit? How does the money change hands? Who'd be interested in a place like that? 
and what happens when a heist goes off and the place is absolutely rampacked with adventurers on their downtime. So I thought, that's a scenario, but what it needs is a role-playing game to go with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you make it easy on yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's going to be the introductory scenario. And I went way beyond introductory scenario and started writing a system to go with it because I thought, it sounds very D&D. Um, cause it, well, because it is. Um, but I didn't want to just do it as a and d thing. And the more I thought about it, I thought, oh, can I just... Uh, I'm trying to wedge it into other people's rules here. This is a chance for me to do what every other person on the planet's done, which is do their hack of D&D. So I can do that. So I can make it, you know, mostly like 13th age, but strip off the bits that I don't particularly use and add in my house rules and blend in some bits from other games that I like. So nick a bit from Blades in the Dark and wedge that one in and and just muck around with that and then sort of build out the campaign frame around that too. So at one stage I had a scenario, a system and some setting ideas and then I've just blended them all together and that's what's made it such a big project. But it's not going to turn out to be a big physical object in the end. It's a big project, but it's actually quite stripped back and stripped down. Um, and, you know, the difference between my game and most is, yes, it's a fantasy heartbreaker, but the idea is it doesn't give you a setting because I'm going to assume you've already got too many of those. Yeah. What it gives you is a reason to play. Lots of things to actually do and campaign frames and structures and the whole thing leads up to the idea of a professional adventurers who have this as their business. Um, and they're in it for, you know, in the same way that legal firms are in L.A. There's small ones and there's big ones and there's buyouts and there's there's all kinds of rivalries going on. The idea of a rival adventuring party is more important than the idea of skeleton groups. You know, mm. people with names, people that you run into. Um, and that's just blossomed into a bunch of stuff which culminates in King of Dungeons, which is the name of the game it's also a person so it's the equivalent of like if you're in the film industry in the uk you can get a bafta for best actor yeah in my setting you can be awarded king of dungeons for being best adventurer (laughs) (laughs) so you get to be king one day (laughs) that's good stuff I think. So yeah, I finally got to pitch it to everybody. So uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think our patrons will be among the first to see that. It's it's ready for playtest now. I did some character sheets the other day and was really pleased with how they turned out. I think it's ready to play. Cool. Uh, there's the hard work is all that stuff behind the, behind the system, isn't it? It's all that that stuff that you don't necessarily see at the table straight away, but it kind of needs to be there in order for it to be, you know, not just my game. Yeah. Um, so it's certainly playable. I think I'll put some stuff out to patrons if they're interested. I might just attach like, you know, my version of a quick start, which is like some pre-gen PCs and that scenario. That might be my next bundle that I put out to, you know, for a dollar a month into our kitty. That's got to be worth a shot, hasn't it? It's a bargain, isn't it? Yeah. Keep you away from Kickstarter for a couple of weeks, won't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, related to uh, Kickstarter news. I'm glad to see that all the guests we've had on their Kickstarter is doing really well, but I, I happened to bump into a thread. I'm going off on a tangent again, sorry, Baz. That's all right. But, um, do you remember a game called Far West? Which, uh, which Yes. Yeah, sort of like yes. Chinese or Japanese stuff mixed in with the Wild West and it had some rotoscope pictures on it. It looked, go, it looked really cool. And I remember nearly backing it at the time. And this ne- was, to give us a sense of timing, mate, this would have been five, six years ago? Seven. 
Seven years ago, Christ. And that, that, that's what's fa- that's what I found it because I managed to find I can't remember where it was, but I found it on the internet. Someone's basically written up every update for the last seven years for this Far West, which still isn't out. And like month by month, what was said, and it's hilarious reading to go from like it'll be out in October definitely, and then the next update is yeah, we're definitely by the end of the year because you know I put my back out, mm. and then yeah, next year, and, and it just goes on like that, and there's like page and page of this guy's like scrupulously put together all the different emails, tweets, and backer updates, and it's still not out yet. And that guy walked away with $50,000, and he's still not produced wow. a thing yet. I feel for him a little bit, because uh, cause, uh, he's essentially done what we've done on this podcast, which he's had a cool idea by smooshing a couple of things together. Uh, but unfortunately, he's just like I've just done on this podcast, gone and told the world he'll do it, and then he's asked for money for it, and then realised how hard it is to write it. <laughs> So it could be seven years before anyone sees King of Dungeons, but you know I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not looking to put it on Kickstarter tomorrow. So uh, <laughs> I'll feel like less of a fraud if it never actually happens. Well, this is the pressure I'm trying to put on you because you've talked to me about it for so long now. We've not got anywhere, so oh well, I've got yeah. somewhere. I've just not got anywhere for the public. So yeah, uh, if I tell all the patrons and listeners about it, it might force your hand a little bit, and you might get somewhere out there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we've got, you know, we've got other irons in the fire as well, though, haven't we? We've got some other stuff which oh, I hate it when people say this, but we genuinely can't talk about. But we will be able to talk about soon. So we've been doing some um, some work for other people mm. um, under the Smart Party banner, and uh, they're definitely the Smart Posse are going to be the the first to hear about that. So you know, we'll get get any stuff that we have a hand in is going to get out to you guys as soon as we can do that. Yes. Uh, as soon as we can make it happen. Um, so yeah, we've been busy, busy people. So, but I think we're both interested in in doing some more stuff. I think what I would love to have, if I can have anything from our from our loyal listeners, is give us a steer. Um, don't want to waste anybody's time, uh, yours or mine or Gazit's. So, if there's stuff you want to see, uh, let us know, and we, we'll try and make that happen. Um, you know, if you want to see a Britpop AI culture in the in the nineties that never was. If you are one of those like-minded souls with me, let me know because all it takes is one person to go. That's a great idea, Baz, and I'm going to write it. <laughs> and, it <laughs> and even if two people say it's a shite idea, if the one person says it's good, that's all I need. It's getting red. <laughs> and people are going to be like wanting your your Cold War, your Hot War scenario set on the moon or something. Though no doubt you'll have to put a twist on it. <laughs> Yeah, well, interestingly, I spoke to uh, Neil Gow, another one of our glorious patrons while I was at the Furnace, and uh, he sort of says, um, I think it was him, I'll give him credit anyway, no one's going to argue with me, that there's, <laughs> there's not that much in the way of like um, actual normal hot war scenarios. Like, you know, that's, or it just feels like it's one of those systems that works so well as a toolkit, you apply it to other things. I end up doing, if I can, I will kind of thing. So if there is a twist, I can put mm. it in, I will, but. Maybe I should just write a, a bog standard hot war scenario, or you know, polish up one I've got in the in the old databank somewhere, yep. and put that out there for people. So, um, yeah, if you're out there in listener land, do you give us a shout and let us know what you might want? Because uh, all it takes, as Bass says, is a little bit of encouragement, and that gets our fevered imaginations going and our fingers tipped up and away on the keyboards. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say hot war was never a game that I particularly played. I'm going to say it's readily available, isn't it? Must be if it's because if it's out there. On PDF, I think maybe people not owning the system, which would be my fear, isn't going to be getting in anyone's way. Yeah, I'm so, pretty sure the PDF's still rolling around there. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. 
So, you know, a game never really dies, does it? And sometimes, you know, some cool material for it is what, what it needs to spark it back into life anyway. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, one thing I might do is... Hmm. Um, I haven't even picked up the game yet. So this is a bit of a stretch to say I'll produce something for it. But I am really tempted to try a vampire again. Now we've kind of gone, we've uh, gone full circle. We've done a couple of D&D adventures. The thing that the big next big thing anyway that came out after D&D was vampire. And that was the thing that shut the market up. So I am yeah. sort of tempted to dip into the new vampire uh, and then see if there's something we can do around that. But um, as I've not even read the book, that might be a bit of a... Uh, my mouth cashing checks that my hands can't type. Maybe... But that's another one of those games which I think was never really well serviced by scenarios. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, you're right. There, there was a few, but they were notoriously poor. Yes. It, it, can it, can it, it can't be impossible to write scenarios for Vampire. I know that maybe you just have to give a kicker. You have to put like a big starting situation in. You maybe aren't able to write the middle or the end of the scenario, but it can't be impossible. No. I mean, it might even come round to a, a good thing to do for those sort of games is to produce some sample characters, and then mm. you say, "And here's the scenario for those characters in this situation," and that that ties things a lot more nicely together, and they, that might make a nice little thing for somebody who's thinking of starting the game and wants to give it a bit of a try. Uh, I don't yeah. know, but we'll see. I, I, yeah, I really agree with that, mate. We didn't do it for these scenarios for our backers this time round, but in the past, when I've stuff put stuff out, it's not not my first go at writing stuff. Um, I've put in pre-gens and um and they've been they're useful whether you use the rest of it or not yeah uh, but but if you, as you know as a con gm you will know this better than anyone if you write up six characters you're also writing a scenario at the same time when you do that or your scenario has to adapt to what you've written so they seem to me to be a really natural fit and, and i've bought scenarios in the past based on the resources that they will give me and, and npcs and content is what you're after isn't it hmm yeah, there's a really good. Uh, I think it's a fan-made thing out there for Delta Green, actually, as we've mentioned that. That's got it's something like a thousand agents or characters that have been rolled wow. up. It's ridiculous. Someone's obviously like likes the Lonely Fun even more than I do, and <laughs> has, has made a bunch of characters. But as a resource, that's brilliant because apart from like lots of characters to choose from, that's a thousand NPCs basically. You've just got like a whole mm-hmm. bunch of uh, characters to introduce to your game world. That's more than you're ever going to use. So. Yeah, that anything to do with like having some characters, like you say, just those little extra bits about what they look like or how they're motivated or something. It doesn't have to be War and Peace. That mm-hmm. gives you plenty to go on uh, for further adventure seeds. Yeah. Okay, so Scenarios is where it's at for us right now, I think, mm. in amongst all the other little projects we've got going on. Um, my scenario that became a role-playing game is <laughs> bubbling away <laughs> in the background. Um, but yeah, as, we, as we're sort of closing out it feels like we're closing out 2018 now and it's been a mad year for the smart party with with loads of fantastic guests and more listeners than we've ever had and and that's been amazing and those patreon backers have enabled us to put out some actual hard copy or or soft copy material now which which is so it's been a good year for us and and there's more still to come and uh, and i think you know we'll start turning our eyes towards smart smart zine issue two yeah around the christmas period last one came out January, so it's becoming an annual. <laughs> if we get a second one out, we can call it an annual. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll maybe put some bits and pieces in there too. So, yeah, again, thanks ever so much to anybody who's dropped a dollar into our account every month because, honestly, that's all it takes to keep us interested, as I say. Um, more of that, please. Um, and uh, we'll get more stuff out to you. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, and equally as important, if not more so, than dropping us a dollar. It's, it's all those who send us some kind words, offer us suggestions, 
share the uh, episodes around either a retweet or a, on facebook or wherever else it is or even just telling friends and family um anything like that where you kind of share or engage with us that's the sort of thing that lets us know we're still appreciated and encourages us to do it all the more cool so next time with more guests we'll be seeing you soon on what would the smart party do bye bye for now cheers Just the two of us We can make it if we try